0: One, two three four hey you you listening to Sloancast. cast uh this is a podcast where we discuss in depth anything and everything about the greatest band of all time chris murphy jay ferguson patrick Pallon, and andrew scott collectively known as sloan we are your hosts my name is rob this is ken how are you doing buddy I'm ready. And dude, we were so pumped at the beginning of the last episode because we're talking about one of our favorite albums. I know it's a, I think it's a fave of, of yours. Um, it's a fave of mine, but then in the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to a lot of Commonwealth. And I'm just like, God, how do you land on a favorite album with these guys? Uh, but it's definitely up there for me. And if you listen to the last episode, uh, you know that there is so there's so much importance with this record. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, stop right now and go listen to it. Why are you listening to these out of order? What's going on? Um, but we're going to jump right into it. And I know <laughs> yeah. you're pumped, man. We came 30 here. 30 for 30. We got to do it. <laughs> the 30 for 30. That's what we call this episode. Yeah. 30 for 30. So get,
1: get your monster energy drinks out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're gonna get go. Th- eye clamps. We're gonna go through the whole album, everybody. And and if you haven't heard this one in a while, man, pull out your copy, download it, go to sloanmusic.com and get a copy. Go to Apple Music, Spotify, you know, a streaming service. Get this album. It's one we're going to hopefully inspire you to listen to it if it's been a while but it's a favorite of ours it's a classic and we're going to go track by track so let's delve into it. You mentioned it in the, in the last episode man. Um yeah. the album starts and you know what I hadn't even noticed this because it's been a while since I listened to this album with headphones like really cranked all the way up. So yeah. I had forgotten that it begins with you know in the same one, way that Navy two, Blues three, four. Yeah in the same way that Navy Blues uh, begins with uh, Chris Coughing this one actually has. You hear Andrew counting it in. You hear him saying one, two, yeah, three, four,
1: yeah, um, yeah. So super get it over cool. with, guys. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And,
0: and and after that, after that four count, we are right into. I mean, God, it's hard to say best because you know you got good in everyone. There's so many great first songs. Follow the leader. Even spin our wheels on twelve is just like totally. such an incredible intro. But God, it's tough to beat flying high again. And on and and, and, and because it's so unique, right? It's all all four guys have a like a half of a verse it's two verses and each guy kind of takes a half a verse, which is unique yeah. to the song. I, can't, I don't think there's any example in their whole discography of all no, four guys no. taking a lead. So it's yeah. it's special right out of the box. So I'm going to say greatest intro song.
1: Sure, and this is and this, it's the greatest for, for that very reason, isn't it? It's the greatest because we've been waiting for these guys to release a new album for three years, and we missed Andrew on the last album, and all of a sudden we get all four of them on the first track, mm-hmm. and we don't just get them splitting verses. We get that gang vocal appearance for the first time with all four of them singing the chorus, which I believe is also a first in the Sloan repertoire
0: yeah it must be it's it's a minute and 25 of absolute perfection it's 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 incredible like you said everybody gets a everybody kind of gets a half of a verse um i'm a huge fan of bands saying the name of the album in the album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like, there it is like on one chord to another it's in g turns to d i think we could maybe quickly go through it let me just think smeared no twice removed no one chord he says in a g turns to d navy blues is sinking ships yeah.
1: Taking ships uh
0: between the bridges pretty together
1: has the so between the bridges isn't in there but between uh, pretty together has the demo track the, the, the b-side right. track by jay, jay which is the reference right uh, action pact is a jellyfish is, is
0: babies is reference the youth action pact that's right uh a west east coast band for everybody who doesn't know jellyfish babies they were they went to school with chris they were younger than him and of course he was very jealous at their early success um great band so youth action pact turns into action pact for 2003 um never hear the end of it and here we are and, and 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 right as chris is saying his his part of the first verse keep in mind that you'll never hear the end of it it's like when you're watching a movie and somebody in the movie says then you know the name of the movie in the movie <laughs> yeah exactly there it oh, is yeah <laughs> we uh, declare this our independence day all right he said the name of the movie i love it um am say we're sending you back to the future there's great compilations of people doing that online but anyway um this is it and so we get this song has everything it's got all four sloans taking a half of a verse chris says the name of the album right away (laughs) i love it i got so
1: excited when i heard this for the first time i got so excited when i heard this this is exactly what i was waiting for this is exactly what i wanted after three years of sitting on my hands and waiting for this release. And we haven't
0: heard Andrew on a record since 2001. And here he is. He takes the second half of verse one. And I recall, I don't recall where I heard this. Um, I would love to find out if this is, you know, uh, archived anywhere. But as far as I know, each guy had a full verse. And so they were edited after Um, because I I know I don't remember again where I heard this, but I know Andrew had extra lyrics that included something about a rocket ship, as I recall, (sighs) a a spaceship. I don't remember exactly what it was, but that's sort of what he's referring to in his verse. Um, It went okay okay so far so good, I guess. That's what he's talking about. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my two cents on his part. We hear Jay uh, in his part. The he's in. He comes in for the second verse with his the first half of the second verse, and he, a very declarative statement right off the top. Jay is right there with "Will never disappear." You know, that's right. That's right. And we were talking in the last episode about kind of the guys have sort of found their, their footing. They've kind of found their lot in life. It's, it's like, it's maybe not the worldwide super fame of some of their peers, but you know, at least they have a lot, what a lot of those peers don't have, which is taste and style and quality (laughs) and, all three of those words are on this album in spades. And there's a confidence here in this opening track. They know that they're Sloan. They know how Absolutely. great they are. And when Jay says, you will never disappear. He's right. You know, he's not just fucking around. He's totally yeah. right. And I love how each yep. of the guys kind of puts their own style on their half of the verse. You know, Patrick's kind of, he, he, Changes his a little bit and kind of uh, just the way he says it, like some people think, but crazy, and high, yeah, like it's, it's, that it's, high it's, it's that high Patrick voice. Yeah, it's it's uniquely him, and each guy is represented with his sort of style. Yeah, it's love. a
1: great reflection. It's a great reflection of this exact moment in the band's history. Right, mm. this is a documentation of where they're at in their career. This is you know, this is saying, let's make a cut here. We're starting fresh. Flying High Again, just again, the instrumentation is going in a completely new direction. So the last track, or let's put it this way, the album Ash Impact, the two uh, singles that were released with the A-Sides Wind disc, compare that to what's happening instrumentally in Flying High Again, we have the organ taking the lead here, right? an organ like this is this is flashing back to basically between the bridges and this it's re-emergence of the keys as a stylistic element in this band's music so we have the gang vocals we have the organ this amazing rhythm section right like listen i want you to listen to the bass on every single track in this album listen to how the bass meshes perfectly with with the keys what's happening there you can't even tell if there are guitars on this on this track like it's such a melange of different instruments that 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 make up this entire rhythm section and that's a a nice foreshadowing of a lot of the tracks on this album
0: and it's a great soundtrack soundcheck song too or as the guys would say sound test it's like you get everybody's vocal out of the way you know like everybody is musically playing sort of their primary instrument. Um, it's not like somebody's on the keys or something or, you know, whatever the whole, the whole band's not all switched around. Um, great intro song. And I, and I definitely had the pleasure of seeing it live a ton and yeah. such. They a still do of, it. They still do it. They, they opened the second half of the Navy blues, uh, anniversary tour with this song. So great. And it's just a goosebumps moment to hear this song. It's, it's, it was Absolutely. special the first time I heard it. It'll always be special. Uh, you can't hear this song and not be affected by it. I don't think so. Yeah. What an amazing intro and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. What a great way to introduce this 30 song, you know, thrill ride, (laughs) if you will. Totally.
1: And so we fly, we fly from flying high again into the first single off this album who taught you to live like that.
0: We get a drum Um, fill.
1: We get a, we get a drum fill. We get that nice, uh, that nice transition. And then we get, three pianos not one not two but three pianos leading the rhythmic charge on this song so if you miss the piano after the last couple of albums jay's serving up three for you plus a mellotron
0: yeah he played it not once not twice but thrice
1: and you know it's 2006 jay ferguson is writing a 12 bar blues song as mm. as the first single off this album like that if, if you need anything to show you that Sloan are going in a new creative direction mm. and that they've been able to do things on their own terms, right. what better proof than this song? Right. So I, I remember reading that he wanted to make it like a, a, a mashup of T-Rex and Bob Dylan. <laughs> That's <laughs> which I okay. think about it. Think about it. Like you have that kind of droning type of uh, instrumentation that some of the mid sixties, uh, Dylan, Dylan stuff. You know, he's working with the band. Uh, would would have had and uh, kind of that cheekiness of a T-Rex song
0: as well. You you nailed it. I don't because my my note on this was I remember at the time and I don't remember where I saw this whether it was like MySpace or somewhere. You know, they had posted about the song or Jay had posted about the song on MySpace or somewhere, and somebody had commented, "You did it," and that kind of gave me the impression that. The person who made that comment knew what he was aiming for stylistically and musically. Yeah. And I never quite knew what that was, but clearly from the commenter, he had accomplished it and you, you, you've nailed it. That's what it is. It's definitely got that T-Rex vibe. I assume that's what they were referring to. Um, cause this, this song does sound influenced by the past, but it's very much Jay. And it's very much this band at this time. Like this is so it's, 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 you know, it's influenced by, by the past and you know, the things that we love about music, but it's, it's still very much them, you know, where this is not a sound yeah. alike or something. Um, no, and it sounds incredible. You mentioned you know all the keys at the beginning, and this is the first legit J single since I mean, technically, he had Waiting for Slow songs in 1999, but don't you believe a word? Sorry, don't you believe a word was the single. (laughs) Uh, I, I love Waiting for Slow songs, obviously, but um, but I mean, he hasn't had a video, or I mean, this song was, I don't know that, um don't you believe word was on the radio? Really? Um, yeah. lines, you and men in 96 was really his last legit single. Yeah. That's uh, right. So here he is a decade later with this massive single, Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and, and, which got radio, which got radio play. Right. I I remember hearing that on the radio.
0: Absolutely. And I know to this day too, like when Jay, you know, is picking his songs for the show, this is a staple of the show, not only for how great the song is, but it's such a great way of showcasing everybody in the band.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's also, this is a,
1: kind of an element that subconsciously ties a lot of songs together and it might have just been a reflection of the confidence that the guys had had at this point in their career Mm. but there's a swagger in this song totally like it's it's jay looking down his nose on this person who thinks they know everything right and it's you see this reflected in a lot of the andrew tracks and we'll get to that in a minute but i think a lot of the songs that are put on this album and they have like it's just exuding confidence it's just exuding this is how we want to do it you know it's 2006 you're putting out a bob dylan t-rex 12 bar blues like three piano jumble of like fuck you for judging me for putting for making this the first single this is this is the best
0: and 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 this with this song too i mean like obviously the guys in the in the in their songs are oftentimes singing to somebody or about somebody with this one. I never got the impression that that was the case. Like this one sounded to me, it just felt like he had this great idea for the lyric who taught you to live like that. It's such a great sort of all encompassing human lyric. Like just, it's a great lyric that we can all kind of relate to. And so, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure we'll get corrected if, if otherwise, but to me, it feels like Jay was going for a feeling, uh, yeah. And the lyric kind of lent itself to that feeling, and not so much it being like a true story sure. or something. Like he's recording no, I mean, something that's happened. Yeah,
1: but it's the, it's the polar opposite of dreaming of you or of waiting for slow songs or something, where it's really that's kind of this reverence of this distant female looking up to this person, whereas this is very much this swagger.
0: Yeah, and it's a great moment as they go into the breakdown. The, ah ah ah, which Aaron mentioned uh, in episode three, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I don't know if you know, but there's somebody right as they go into it that says yeah. Somebody was yeah. do you? And I, I listened to it closely. That sounds, it, like, that sounds like Jade. It didn't, voice. it didn't sound to me like any of them. I thought it must've been somebody else. Like Mike Nelson was there or Nick or somebody else. It sounded right. to me like, like a fun opportunity it. to just let somebody who's not in the band kind of say, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it, maybe we'll find out maybe it is one of the guys, but when I listened to it, I listened to it very closely. It really didn't sound like anybody. And I mean, God, ugh, Jay's had some good solos over the, over the years, you know, uh, he's not Eddie Van Halen and he doesn't need to be, uh, nobody in the band is obviously. And not a lot of people are in general, but, he, he captures here the spirit of like a great classic rock guitar solo, you know I like it, yeah. especially towards the end where he goes into the eh, 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 eh like kind of the off time. Uh, it's charging. a blues solo. It's a yeah. blues solo. Oh, it totally is, and, and and you're exactly right. And it really reminds me of um, Paul and George and John at the end of the end at the end of Abbey Road, where they're kind of trading yeah, totally, back totally, and forth. Totally, totally, that, that solo, yeah. It it kind of encompasses the best of those three players. Um, right. You know, it's so sort Paul. of like it's 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 so, so, yeah, Paul. But then, it, 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 towards the end of the solo, it feels like a John thing, where he's just kind of making noise more, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. You, you got it, man. It reminds me in many ways of the solo for "Come On, Come On," um, which is played in a similar place in the, on the on the fretboard. Um, but as you mentioned, he's working up and down the fretboard. He's he's really in the bluesy style. And there's, I, I forget what it was. There, there. I think Chris made a joke at one point. Uh, to Jay in their career where he said like, Oh Jay, I didn't know you were so bluesy. Um, but now we have the proof for the fact that, you know, Jay doesn't just do Johnny Marr riffs, but he can do a killer, you know, your blues or a killer, the end.
0: And another sort of, classic rock um staple you know little richard and that like jerry lee lewis and stuff is this 16th note on the piano and as we go into that final chorus and everybody kind of heaps in with the big vocal we hear that on the piano tension tension what's gonna happen this is just like we're talking like classic rock and roll you know yeah this song has got it all And in T T Rex, too, were kind of about that as well. Like they had a certain amount of glam, um, but really they were just sort of a reflection of those early rock pioneers in the 50s, you know, Chuck Berry and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis, like I said, Little Richard. So, you know, Sloan is kind of like, you know, we mentioned a few episodes ago about the sort of funnel. Uh, you know, or the sinkhole where a whole bunch of elements yeah. kind of go in and come out the other side. This song definitely feels like that. You know, it's, 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 it's familiar sounding. It sounds that we know and like, um, but it's got Jay's vocal on the top of it. It's got everybody singing in the chorus and yeah. it's so uniquely them. And by the time this thing hits your ears, it's Sloan. It's not any of these That's other, right. the other right. parts. It's, right. It is them. That's right. It's their identity. Yeah. So
1: big production that, kind of then fades away into them dropping the instruments and you can hear some background murmurs before we cut into i've got to try so again we're, we're hearing and seeing the production quality of this album it's it's all there mm. and we fade into i've got to try mm. uh, which by the which,
0: way is andrew's first single since that's we right had, that's we had right. just had jay with the first single back since 96 uh, in terms of like something that's you know for the mass populace and andrew hasn't had one since 94 with people of the sky that's and right. here he is
1: that's right and that's i think it's probably maybe my favorite track off the album It's two minutes long. Yeah. It's well, it's got an amazing music video. I, I, personally put this music video right up there with money city maniacs from a visual standpoint just Mm. i I think they sent it to or somebody picked it up from a from a graphic design agency and you can just see it's got this wonderful um wonderful kind of psychedelic quality too and it's just the band playing but this is andrew's
0: yeah it's a sleeper video for those who haven't seen it check it out on youtube tube sloan i've got to try. great video
1: it so this song is andrew's triumphant return to the stage right i mean he yep. missed out on action packed, even though he had material ready and if you listen to some of his material on pretty together there's you get kind of that artsy vibe that you have on on navy blues especially but there's also some fairly introspective material yeah. um, that's hard to cut through and this is the polar opposite this is swagger like this is braggadocio. This, this is like radio like... ready pop, and not just that. The lyrical content, and I'm going to touch on this when we talk about these episodes. We have two poles of Andrew Scott on this album. We have this like monumental rock god uh, swagger, and 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 this sort of guile almost. And then on the other hand, we have this super sensitive. Love song, Andrew Scott. So this is the this is the first poll. And for me, like the lyrical content as well, it's almost like you know, you plebs, you try and you try, but you don't even know that you have an imagination, right? It's almost that there's a lot of you people in Andrew's lyrical (laughs) content on this album. It's like you people, my neighbors, and but it's 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 done, it's done really well, right? And the I love I love how the vocals are mixed on this track, and it's all Andrew. Right. Um, I even think that the falsetto that's happening on this is, is Andrew, but you know, somebody could correct me there.
0: That's part um, of the course with his stuff. Yeah. Traditionally. He's, yeah. It's, so, it's generally all him. Yep.
1: Sure. And uh, it's one. It's one of the tracks. So a lot of the Andrew stuff that was put onto this album would have been pretty much made up on the spot. So a lot of the filler, like Golden Eyes, Mm. but this was one of the tracks that he probably came in uh, into the studio with, uh, into the into the practice space with, that had been more or less ready. And it's two minutes long. It's a perfect. It's a perfect length for a song. And just like the, I love the distant backing vocals. Mm. I love in the second verse where you hear, like, uh, you, can, you really have to consciously listen to it, but he's like, uh, Is it only when you're lonely that you try to be true? It's sort of like he repeats what's happening in the intro, but you really have to listen the second time. So there's a lot going on here. And I know this sounds cheesy, but I love how the the toms are are kind of panned on the intro as well. I was so going to mention that, that too, yeah. Yeah. So you have you have that, I don't know, it was—it's a little, a little decision, a little small artistic decision that really makes the song pop out.
0: And talk about the, and to talk about the drums for just a second too. Sloan, do this a few times, for as a drummer. Like whenever I hear a drum part, if it reminds me of something that I've heard in the past or of of a popular song, or or even being in different bands, if I'm trying to write a drum part for a song. I'll perhaps reference a song in the past that I don't even have to write out like tab for drums or any other notes. I'll just say like, you know, the verse of X song or whatever is what it's like. And for me, this is like the ticket to ride drums, you know, which is like, bam, pa pa boom, boom, bah, yeah. Bah, yeah. boom. and then, and, and the Beatles kind of played a little bit differently, but the overall feel is there. This would be similar to, each, yeah, this yeah. is similar to coax me where like the snare is not on two and four. Yeah, true. yeah. It's like, it's like two, you get the two and then you get the toms for the four. Um, so that's, that's similar ish here. Also, they revisit this, uh, later on 48 portraits. Um, Chris plays that. Um, well actually, I mean, it could be Andrew playing on that record, but I'm, I mean, I'm visualizing Chris playing it live. Um, so, so from a drum perspective, it's sort of a callback to, um, or not necessarily a callback, but it's certainly that feel of something that we've heard before with coax me. Um, although this is a little busier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great feel, And, um, yeah, this is just sort of a swirling pop song. And also like you were saying too, he's very, you know, open hearted, you know later especially in the album with like a song like i know you he's like he's, hmm. he's really putting his story out there um but this is just so life-affirming with this song like he says i'm gonna learn to believe in my life until the day that i die you know like declarative statement yeah. again jay says you know we'll never disappear and flying high again um you know some pretty hardcore you know statements here like <clears throat> and yeah, i don't I don't think these guys giving their lives the way when they've
1: only got one or maybe two
0: these guys are not fucking around you know and 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 we talk talked earlier about um you know the the guys have even themselves referred to critiques of the Beatles and stuff where people would say well you know paul is the beauty and john is the truth and chris's Mm -hmm. joke is that in sloan there is neither but um, (sighs) and i feel like i've said this before but i would argue that that both are actually present um and truth not in sort of like a geopolitical sense truth in they're telling you their truth and like i said these guys are kind of opening up their chests and you know giving you some insight into who they are, and like I said in the last episode, Chris and Andrew really are, are on this one. I feel like really burying their soul, <clears> yeah. and then the beauty is you know, is obvious like the beauty is all of them. So, yeah, uh, and this song is, is, is you know, without question, totally in that category, just a gorgeous, perfect pop song, definitely. You know, I it's hard to top this, it's hard, to, it's hard. I
1: think. We're three songs into the album, and it's already the best album that I've heard. It's it's the best, and it's exactly what I've been waiting for. I was sitting on my hands for three years waiting for it, and it's blown me out of the water.
0: Speaking of blowing you out of the water, <laughs> uh, I, this is the one... Again, one of the ones that I was, the next song, Everybody Wants You, it's a Chris song. Um, and I think it's his first, yeah, it's his first on the record. It's Chris's right. introduction. He's obviously singing. He opens the record with Flying High Again. And and to be honest, I don't really know who the main writer on Flying High Again is.
1: I think it's just attributed to Sloan, right? I mean, it's got to okay. be yeah. a Cause, Democratic. Because
0: usually, there. I mean, to me, it feels maybe like a Chris and Patrick coupling I'm not too sure but again i was actually listening to uh, <clears throat> their interview on cbcq from a few years ago yeah. um and it was interesting to hear the story about how the other man came together that you know that yeah that's that,
1: a collaborative effort
0: that andrew had the sort of little guitar lick jay kind of pasted the song together in pro tools uh and chris and patrick kind of both wove the sort of core of the song right um so you know before i saw that i I really didn't get the impression that they were so collaborative i knew that they were in in pairs sometimes um so i would love to hear the story and maybe we'll get some answers when we talk to somebody who was present in these recordings or who has the know-how about how flying high again came together but um so yeah like i said chris is the first singer on the album technically but his first actual song that's just a straight up chris song is everybody wants you and um this has got this sort of another little sloan trope i guess is the sort of hesitated guitar slash hesitated cymbal hit um and so that would be like when you're counting four like one two three four is Bang, you know where the yeah. hit doesn't come on the one it comes on the two and this is um <clears throat> my point of reference would be like keith moon a lot of his sure. fills would not necessarily have a cymbal hit on the one, but he'd, he'd go like, which is something that I know like Chris was playing in sinking ships. You know, if you go back and listen to that song, there's a lot of that going on and it's something that they do kind of all the time. Um, but it, it's here for sure. It's sort of like a part of the song structure here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and I mean, you meant, you mentioned this is Chris's kickoff song, but the first impression that I get as a guitarist is Andrew's wonderful guitar work. And I'm going to peg it to Andrew. I feel as though I can pretty much identify when Andrew is playing on a Chris track. I agree. This Um, is Andrew for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wonderful guitar work, and I love the 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 stereo guitar solo that's taking place in the middle of the song, mm. which is again just like pure. It might be it might be Andrew and Chris. I know that they they like to con- conspire on a lot of the on a lot of his songs,
0: and for me as well, this is sort of like a brother song to. You Know some of the stuff that would have been on one chord to another, like Take the Bench, uh, Can't Face Up. Uh, I mean, obviously, Can't Face Up is a Patrick song, but those two songs at the end of one chord always kind of felt samey to me, like kind of in the mm. you know, cut from the same cloth. And so, this song kind of feels like it's in that you know, uh, neighborhood.
1: I love the guitar work on this song, I love the guitar work for me. The construction of the song and the musicianship kind of trumps its, its lyrical content. I'm not like totally convinced. I love the way that Chris bends that key line to the song, you know, got a feeling so wrong. I hope nobody hears about it. Mm. Um, I love the way that he uses that to kind of paint the arc of this song um cuz there isn't a lot of lyrical content happening here either it's it's it's, it's more about a feeling and it's a, it's this yearning feeling right
0: and the, and the lyrics regardless of how much depth there is there they really sound well when sung and this is one of the songs especially when that series of youtube videos that came out there was a whole video about patrick kind of learning the background part and singing it and you know you hear them kind of rehearsing the hope nobody is hope nobody is and hitting that big note like these are two guys again and we're gonna hit this a lot on this album like these two voices sound great together you know patrick backing up chris and vice versa they just sound fantastic when singing together and uh yeah that little moment uh yeah, I love the little guitar thing. I mentioned it in the last episode. And I don't even really know how to describe it, because the song is sort of like plodding along, and it uh, when it hits the cymbal, the, the guitar kind of like rings out like dur, dur, de, de. Yeah, it's this great little pretty guitar part that you know it's like this little mini thing, somewhat innocuous, but it just means so much when when you hear it, and uh, just a very musical song.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, it, what I love about this song, the most apart from the guitar work, as as I mentioned, is just Chris's vocals. How, how he's able to pack his voice with all kinds of different emotions in this song. So one one little reflection. This is something, maybe not an intentional thing, but when you said that last um that last little verse where he, or chorus where he where he sings, got a feeling so wrong. Yeah. It reminds me of John Lennon's voice on "It's Only Love." Right where he goes, mm. but it's so odd, like there's that same kind of like yearning,, so you know it, it, it might not be a real conscious nod to to John Lennon, but um I think speaking to both of their vocal prowesses, mm. um they're both able to to pack that one single word with the exact right emotion for this track
0: and if I had to pick, I mean, I know both guys are you know, more poppy like Paul, but Chris definitely has the sort of throatiness of Lennon. That's right. Where yeah. Patrick sort of has the candy voice like McCartney, you know, like he's got yeah. that kind of smooth caramel voice. Um, and then Jay and Andrew are just totally different characters in their own right. And I, I love their voices too, obviously, but just in the context of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, regardless of how their songs specifically sound, those are the vocal references that I would sort of apply here.
1: Yeah. There is no Ringo in Sloan. Thankfully.
0: Yeah. And I love Ringo and I love all those funny Ringo songs, but you know, well, we don't, we don't have, love. we don't have any comedy songs here. I mean, obviously Chris has got some funny <laughs> shit going on. Well, I mean, technically we have living with the masses, which is hilarious, but it's not it's like, not, a, it's not a comedy. There's, there's no serious, yellow submarine shit. Yeah, exactly. These no. guys are all four of them are just classic singer songwriters yeah. with their own unique voice literally and figuratively.
1: So speaking of uh, the silky smooth vocals of Mm. one particular Patrick Pentland, we uh, segue into, um, well, first of all, we segue into Patrick's Duet with R two D two.
0: Right, that was what I was gonna say. I love that little video <laughs> where Chris is like <laughs> riving Patrick, and he's saying like, "So I guess uh, listen to the ra- radio is gonna be a duo, or a, uh, what does he say? A uh, radio is gonna be a duet. A, a duet." And Patrick's like, "It's a duet now, yeah, with R two D 2
1: Yeah, um is this the most cliched of the tracks on the album? I mean, I'm not gonna put. A, uh, I don't want to start with a negative note, and this isn't this isn't meant in a negative way, but
0: I mean, I I, I think he's reflecting personally i don't know that he's making a comment on everybody or radio in general like to me when i hear this song i, th- I think patrick's talking about himself you know like he's talking about maybe or just like the the, the topic's a little more personal perhaps hmm. um i love it's, it's
1: interest. it's very introspective
0: yeah and i and, and for me again this is a song like we've talked about this one is less for me about what he's saying and more about the overall feel Um, I love the title. Listen to the radio. And, um, it's not, it's, it's very, again, the lyrics are very beautiful when sung. It's not clunky and awkward sounding. Um, and it's just a gorgeous song. I don't know if you would technically call it like a flange or whatever, but there's definitely a a flange. There's a flanged outro. there's There's an effect on this song. That yeah. seems to be there kind of the whole time. I don't know what it is. I know there's a lot of Patrick singing with himself, which and he always sounds great harmonizing with himself. Um, but I yeah. put it up there with you know a song like "Long Time Coming," just a yeah. really pretty song.
1: You know. So, but what strikes me most about this song is as you mentioned, um, the instrumentation, the layers and layers and layers that are happening here, Mm. um, the production quality, a very shimmering feel to it, the harmonies that Pat brings. And we've talked about the Pat on Pat harmonies, Mm. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I know that they were working with pitch correction by this point in time digitally, but who cares? Mm -hmm. It just sounds so good. And the timbre is just on point. The synths, like the the synthesizer work on this track, is fantastic. It's subtly done, but it adds to that kind of flanged quality that you were that you were talking to.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I think this is again another another track where the musical quality trumps the lyrical content. And I didn't want to get you know kick this off on a negative note. That's not not my intention whatsoever. But I think that a lot of Patrick's songs are more focused on you know what's the central. What's the central musical idea here? Mm. What's the riff that I'm putting out there? And then the, 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 the lyrical content kind of plays, plays along with that. It, it, it's very much second stage to, to what the music's about. And this is a good, a good example of that.
0: And this is a very unique feel, too. I mean, like, you could say that they have their, you know, they have uh, some mid-tempo tracks in their discography, like The Other Man and stuff, or um, Nothing Lasts Forever Anymore from the last album. Um, but this doesn't sound like those at all. This has sort of just got like a doom-doom-bum-doom-doom-bum. doom, doom, bum, doom, doom, doom bum. It's just sort of like a heartbeat of a song. Um Yeah. Although it's it's a fully fleshed out and realized song, it's not like an acoustic track or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's very pretty, very beautiful. By the time he gets to, you know, the end when he's just going, It's on my hand and singing with himself, like it is just gorgeous sounding. Beautiful. I will make
1: I will make the note that whenever I hear that that lyric, it's on my hands. I can't stop thinking about Lady Macbeth. Which is, I think, many of us will have been traumatized from high school English class, but I just can't stop thinking about Lady Macbeth not being able to wash the blood out of her hands. <laughs> um, not Patrick's intention by any means. And you mentioned, you know, the, the, the this is a fully fully realized track i'm not sure if this is true or if it's apocryphal but i recall hearing at some point that so patrick has the fewest tracks on this album Mm. and i recall hearing that that's because he got the note quite late that they were planning on making this really big expansive project with a lot of little snippets and he brought he he brought like He brought a few tracks to the practice space. He only had a few, Mm -hmm. uh, which is why he has the least. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I thought it was a really great anecdote because I could just sort of picture Patrick showing up and really happy with his stuff, and everybody else has like 50 snippets of whatever they're they're planning to throw out there
0: and i mean and patrick's got kids too i mean andrew does at this point as well but That's patrick right. we so yeah. we see on the keeping the tour alive video that he's shopping for his son um, yeah. so by three years later i know he's got at least two at this point um yeah. but you know so he's living that dad life and it's difficult to be you know, put cutting little pieces together over at the studio. And I, and I always kind of imagine Patrick on his own at home, especially on, you know, things like parallel plays, Burn For It and stuff like that just for me feels like mm-hmm. him, you know, listening to Jesus and Mary Chain and just like cranking his yeah. guitar and putting something down like in his house when nobody's home kind of thing. And so this for me feels like that as well. Um, right so even though he's not there necessarily for the horsing around and you know coming up with little tiny pieces and stuff uh he does what what he delivers on this record even though he's got the fewest i think is i want to say one of his strongest showings if not potentially Absolutely. his strongest Absolutely. I mean it's it's yeah, hard to no live up to the power that he brought when he sort of like came out of the closet in one chord where he sort of like took over in a way. I don't want to say took over, yeah. but I mean like he really yeah. showed up on one chord. Um, yeah. and, and he really shows up here. I mean like his, he's all of his songs on this album. We're talking about a perfect album here, people, but all of his tracks on this record are just impactful. They all have yeah. a very specific feel and tone and message and they're just fantastic.
1: We'll get to ill place trust later. I can't wait. Oh my God. But first we have another, 27 tracks No, i'm joking (laughs) fading fading into obscurity i know that you're probably going to take the lead on this one well self-indulgence (laughs) self-indulgence of of the finest form isn't it
0: this one is and again when i first heard the record and when i saw them playing it into this is another one that chris pulls out you know like when they do their sort of greatest hits shows you know Chris pulls this one out often and and for good reason it's for, for those for the uninitiated, especially like if you know them and you know this song, it's a great one to hear, but for the uninitiated, for for the people who showed up to hear coax me and good and everyone and money CD maniacs to hear this in the set, if if I don't know this song, I'm rushing immediately to the merch table and going, what fucking album is that song on? Right, Holy yeah. shit. Um, Chris just delivering here. I mean, you could describe this as a bit of a rock suite if you'd like unto itself. It's clearly multiple songs in one. Yeah. Um, I love the little lyrical joke of don't you know who I was? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is again, the theme of the album, I think in a, in a way for Chris, he sort of, kind of dealing with two issues. One being his sort of, again, I don't want to say acceptance, but he's definitely speaking about the band's place in time. He's appreciative of what they've done and the time that they've spent and the quality that they've put in everything. But he also realizes where they are, what they're doing. And he's kind of resting into he's he's sort of like, uh, you know, leaning back and getting comfortable with their sort of place in the world. Uh, And then he's also, saying goodbye to an old relationship uh, as mm. as, a, as a new one is starting he's he's sort of recalling that transition um and so this one is sort of the of the former where he's sort of referencing the band and himself very directly totally um, and and fading into obscurity. It's so funny that he's fading into obscurity in two thousand six. You know. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I mean, it was, and we talked about this. This was, this was, I think, at the front of his mind uh, for at least the last three or four albums. Mm. Right. I mean, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it over the long run? Are we going to make it in the states? Are we going to? What? How, how's our fan base looking in Canada? Yeah. I think the one, the one thing that sticks with me for this song the most is that central idea i'm undecided right because Mm. that's the story of chris's life undecided i'm halifax toronto uh us canada uh women definitely women uh (laughs) sloan versus super friends sloan versus this and that right i mean this this idea of indecision doesn't come by accident and i think that that's just as poignant as this idea of help i'm becoming irrelevant
0: and, and, and honestly, I feel like I could talk about this song all day. And then there aren't enough wor- words in the world to sort of correctly and properly cover this song. It's so perfect and so beautiful. Um, it's like I said, it's a little mini suite, a little mini opera. Um, so impressive musically. Once again, it feels like classic rock. It's kind of jumping all over the place with time signatures and stuff. But again, it's, it's very much them. It's very much Chris. It's very much Sloan. Um, yeah. Yeah it feels like Andrew on drums on this one. Um, it might've Mm -hmm. been something that maybe Chris demoed, but you know, the power and the finesse is there with, with Andrew. Um, and, and again, he's being sort of self-referential. He talks in the, in the lyrics about, about something being delicious. Could you be, you know, delicious and still be influential? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is them to a T. I mean, you look up, you know, those two were. If, if you were to pair those words in sort of an online dictionary or something, you get a picture of Sloan. <sighs> you know, just you. I would call this album delicious. Just it's beautiful. It, it it's it's it goes down easy. It tastes great, and yeah. uh, <laughs> and it's in and they're influential as hell. So um, absolutely. And this goes back to the it, thing that I was saying about beauty and truth. So I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah no it's 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 such a lyrical buffet of of different little ideas and I think the you know it's 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 certainly a lyrics first track, and I think the the lyrics sometimes obscure the the actual musical content here. And there's a couple of things to touch on from a musical perspective. First of all, there's the McCartney bass. So listen to the part B, you know, you kids will have to fend for yourselves and listen to what's going on with the the bass line there. Um, But then we also have, and I've talked a lot about the complex rhythm section on this album, we also have the lead guitar um, if you think about the next part of the song, I'm unable to tell if I know who, I, there's that descending single note, um, low string guitar riff, which isn't really a lead guitar. Riff. It's a, it's a bass riff basically. Um, but you'll hear this being reprised throughout the album and also later on in the, in the career of Sloan using kind of that, that single note guitar riff as part of the rhythmic construction of the song. So you know a lot a lot to be said about this song not just because of its expansiveness and because of its wonderful wordplay but also because of because of what's happening musically
0: yeah and the kids that he's referring to i don't think by this point chris has a kid yet i mean i know he's going to very soon if not already yeah. here and if he does it's a baby but i don't think so at this point um so i don't know if that's the reference here for kids maybe he's talking about his mom and his sibling or whatever not sure um but again the the wordplay is great you know and and all this is really for chris like uh, and he, he would make the comment that he's more of a music guy and sort of he he obviously takes time with his lyrics but it's not something that he like is overjoyed to do like he doesn't take pleasure necessarily yeah. it, it seems to me like when it, when you hear him interviewed about it that it's more like a chore like oh, i yeah. gotta put lyrics on this thing but when he does fuck man he takes it to the bank and, and honestly i gotta be honest like i think he might be just he is very self-deprecating in interviews and stuff and as a person um so when he says the whole thing about not liking writing lyrics and stuff or just like the task of doing it I gotta be honest. I don't know how much I believe that he's so fucking great at it. Yeah, I mean, some of their most classic lyrics as a band are come from this guy. And yeah. when he does put his mind to it, he obviously talks about you know putting, giving it his all, and putting effort in. And God, when he does, does he ever? Holy shit! I mean when he's when he goes into the final lyrics and i'll just read it verbatim when he goes into the final lyrics of this song i'm, undec- I'm undecided if the evidence that if i that i've provided explains what i mean but it's too late now because i can't see or be seen and i know you'd only shrug through my tears so i'm not gonna shed them anymore like fuck i've certainly felt that way you know yeah. i remember that's one of the songs when i when when i sing along to that line god that gets me right in the heart. Um, yeah. And and then he goes but into it, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was. I was just gonna say it, it, it ends on a on a sort of optimistic note, though. It
0: sure does, and it, and I really feel like he's talking about the band here. Out of totally out of favor with the flavor of the weeks where I'll be again. This is this is this album. This is the fucking you know uh, <laughs> thesis of this record. Out of favor with the flavor of the weeks where I'll be and fading into obscurity. He's fading into obscurity, but he's quite happy to do so, and he's quite yeah. he's quite comfortable where he is, an outsider but in good company uh i'm fading into obscurity i'm undecided like yeah love it you know so th- there's definitely a comfort there and you feel that with him he, he's obviously kind of winking and nodding and putting his tongue firmly in his cheek with the lyrics here about fading into obscurity but he wants you to know by the end of the song like i i recognize that this is the case but i'm happy to be here and i'm happy that totally. you're here on this journey with us and god yeah. man as sloan fans man we sure are
1: great recap we'll get to a lot of those sentiments later on the album too but first i think a song that's very poignant for you and me as young fathers (laughs) i i can't sleep (laughs) yeah probably made up made up on the floor at the practice space you can hear the spontaneity in this song you can hear kind of for me the most un-Andrew like drumming on the, in the maybe in the entire sloan catalog yeah. so indication this is probably chris on the drums i think it's chris yeah um you know you got you have this wonderful intro which is just bass 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 and also sort of a, a bass tone that you haven't heard before so again they're doing things ry- rhythmically here that they haven't done on previous albums and the entire song is just a single lead up to this huge climax right it's i think 50, five seconds long or something
0: yeah
1: um you know so it, there isn't a lot to say here lyrically because there isn't a lot going on i think it would be a song that if andrew had taken his time with it he might have been able to pull it out into an entire track add a second verse at a, a solo um and there you have it but i'm happy that it's it, it's this short because it adds to this sort of like manic atmosphere that's going on and the fact that it's just this one giant build up to this mm. to this climax where I think I'm gonna let it all go and he's screaming
0: ah it's awesome <laughs> it's a great little snapshot and you know th- there might be out there in the world a potential longer version of this song and like a, in an alternate universe or something but he says everything he needs to say in this short little period of time that little moment after the let it all go and it kind of ah, and with the little guitars and the echo in the middle just an yeah. awesome musical moment and they're really just showing you know the many colors in their palette like this is you know a buffet of flavors and colors this whole album is but you know especially from andrew and here's one like this is just sort of like a soundscapey kind of you know just this is sonic uh it's just a a wonderful sonic uh experience
1: yeah it's an artistic statement i think that that's a lot a lot of what we're hearing from andrew in this album is just like this is the mood i'm in here it is and
0: Boom. you mentioned, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the drums. I, I definitely think it's Chris. I find when you're hearing like symbols in the verses, like somebody just kind of riding on a ride or a, yeah, uh, riding yeah, on a crash, that's, that's Chris. I feel like that's a Chris move. Uh, yeah. And and the way he plays the ride too, I feel like Chris kind of has a looser grip on the stick, <clears throat> if you will, because um, he's sort of just he kind of like floats a little more on the drums, where Andrew is a yeah. little more declarative on the drums. Um, well, you and, can
1: watch that. You can watch it too when they're playing live. Just observe how they play.
0: Yeah, totally. And and I think that this song too has a a kinship maybe musically to sensory deprivation from between the bridges. I mean, they're not the same song obviously, but that sort yeah. of energy I think is there.
1: Tempo's um, the same pretty much.
0: Tempo is probably about the same. And, and, and while this song is not necessarily like a riff or Rama, like sensory deprivation, um, it, it definitely has that sort of manic quality to it. And, uh, yeah, just awesome. So many layers, the vocals are great the guitar sounds awesome
1: and uh, Andrew can be cheeky too. I mean, listen to him drop like oh, I'm trying to count sheep. <laughs>
0: but yeah.
1: You know, I can't pay attention. Like it's uh, I, that there are there every now and then you get a taste of his dry humor lyrically.
0: Yeah. yeah. This is a great one. And you're right, man. Being a dad like you know, Clara is how old now?
1: She is a year old this month.
0: Yeah, and as of this recording, I got a little guy, Jesse, who's 3 uh and yeah not sleeping is definitely something that has been my reality for over 3 years now so <laughs> uh, there you have it on a, and on that note you know a song from Chris the next one someone i can be true with um a song that definitely is about the lyrics you know pretty simple musically but um yeah the lyrics on this are just hilarious I love all the references to cultural things like Gremlins Two and The View and and so on. Uh, the idea of he's painting the picture of his new relationship, and I find that I don't know what the what the sort of relationship advice is, but you know, you've heard it said that relationships are. I mean, I'm thinking about the movie High Fidelity for sure, where he talks about yeah. it's about what you like. You know, yeah. and having you know yeah. things that you like in common with your partner. And he, Chris is kind of putting that on display here. you know, he's sort of he's boasting about his new relationship. And at this point, I don't know how new the relationship is, but he's he's speaking out about it from the perspective of it being certainly newer and I know later on the album, we're going to get that a bit with, uh, what's the song? I'm in this feelings new. Oh, right. Uh, last time in love. We hear it later on last time in love as well. Same topic. um, but uh yeah he's talking this is about commitment you know uh this song and last time in love these are sort of commitment songs he he says some days it can be hell but it's a hell that i've got to hope in um you know i think anybody who's been in a relationship or certainly a long-term one you know you've you've had that reality you know like relationships aren't easy but you put the work in and you have hope in it and you make it work you know
1: yeah i don't have much to add to that it's obviously about rebecca it's a snapshot of the excitement that you have and the anticipation that you have at the beginning of a new relationship. So that's well done. Um, it's humorous. And I love the fact that there's a Mellotron in it. I just can't stop <laughs> focusing on this fucking Mellotron. It's the best. Mm. But it works out well, doesn't it? I mean, the, the not just the relationship, but um, the Mellotron and the, the way that it kind of... I don't know. I, I, it adds a texture to songs that otherwise would have been a little bit more one-dimensional.
0: Yeah, and this song musically is definitely the table for the dinner that is the lyrics. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of the yeah the easel, you know, and the lyrics are the paint. Um, where yeah. where like I said previously, like uh, like n- not to take a knock at the song at all. It's it's not doing it. It's not doing anything crazy musically. But it's just it's definitely you know, said it's the blueprint for Chris to sort of have his word play over and, uh, yeah, love the lyrics here. He's getting, he's sort of letting you know where he's at and he's sort of in a way I think for a lot of people, he's sort of, Painting this ideal relationship, you know, like these are the things that we do together and that we don't do together. And it's, and it's humorous and it's definitely his personality. You know, like he said on the Vicky Gabbro show, you know, years earlier, you know, my charisma is through the roof. You know, his charisma is coming through on this one for sure. Um, he's, he's being super personable and charming and he's yeah. boasting about his wonderful relationship. And it just sounds yeah. great. It's it, This is like hashtag relationship goals, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's the most approachable way to talk about it too, right? I mean, how can you... What, what, what better way to... It doesn't need to be this big artistic, you know, masterpiece. You don't need to have all kinds of metaphors to talk about your excitement. And in a lot of ways, when you're in a new relationship, you just want to go and get it out there and say, I'm so happy that this is happening. You know, you want to be direct with people. And I like that he does it in a humorous way that, you know, it's it, it's so cool that, you know, I don't have to watch the view with her. <laughs>
0: And you get from how lighthearted he is about it, that this is the, that the relationship is lighthearted and it's light on its feet. And he gets into that with last time in love as well. I mean, cause yeah. I don't know, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I've definitely had relationships that were hard. You know, you're just, yeah. you're with somebody and you're just like clashing all the time and it's just like oil and water and it just doesn't work and it's not comfortable, you know, and you just, you're stressed all the time and you're like racking your brain and you want to just like, you know, just end everything. Um, but this is not that, and obviously relationships have their ups and downs and they're tough, but he's definitely happy where he's at. He's in a very comfortable place and he's very happy to sing about it. And the humor sort of lends, you know, kind of lets you, lets the listener into their living room a little bit and kind of feel the comfort going on. And what a great place right. to be. What a great place to be yeah. playing music from
1: segue into it.
0: Segway, segue. No kidding. This song, piles right into they could be the same song in a way, but uh, it, it, there's no space here. It, it comes right into right or wrong with Jay. Um, yeah. at this point in 2006, I mean, I love Jay's songs on, you know, the previous albums on, on action packed. I feel like he was really stepping it up a notch. False alarm is amazing. Um, yeah. but at this point I find like the, the Jay Ferguson that exists today in the present was like the band kind of formed and and, and sort of the way that they are now at present, the archetype of how they record and and that kind of thing, a lot of the sounds that are used are sort of blueprinted here on never hear the end of it. So is Jay's current sort of song style. And I mentioned a couple episodes, I think it was in the Aaron episode, Aaron Pinto episode where we were talking about Rivers Cuomo kind of in search of the perfect pop song and whether he got there or not, maybe it's Island in the sun. I don't know. I I feel like he, I I don't know. I mean, whatever, whatever from his perspective, whatever it is, I think at this point, you know, they've. I think uh, Mexican Fender was a good song, but <laughs> the the majority of their output, I'm kind of like whatever on. Um, yeah. But but Jay Ferguson, on the other hand, in 2006, is beginning his Jay writes the perfect pop song. He's <laughs> he's starting his new company, Jay Ferguson Writes the Perfect Pop Pop Song Incorporated. Uh, this <laughs> this is in terms of like just the archetype for a perfect song. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the magic recipe is, but this is sort of the beginning of it. And I think we fee- we hear it again as as we go through the years here in 2008. I want to say with Witch's Wand and obviously Cleopatra. Right. I feel like these songs are are a lot in common musically or the overall feel. Um, yeah. But, uh, but again, he's he's got some really sweet lyrics here. You're always with me when you're not. I love that line. Um and, and in a way, he's sort of echoing Chris's sentiment from the last song. Like he's talking about, yeah. I think maybe he's talking, I don't know if he's talking about the band maybe more so here, but I, a line like you're always with, you, with me when you're not feels like a relationship. But you know, the sentiment, I think, is kind of similar-ish.
1: It, there, there are some more obvious references, I think, in this song to the band and where they're at in their musical career, right? I mean, it leads in with 10 years ahead of our time or about one year behind. You know, sometimes it gets to me, so all this critique coming from whoever, music, musical press, from the fans. I know that this is a point in their career where they were also kind of dabbling in some of what the people in the Sloan message board were saying about the band. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this visibility on what they're doing, right? And they're going in a new creative direction now so that you know you can reflect on that. And we talked about this before. We talked about you know sooner or later we'll be singing for free.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> so the, i think there's some there's some there's some references to the idea of being a professional band and having all eyes on you and still you you know you can't make a right move but you also can't make a wrong move for some people i mean we're definitely of the latter camp that anything that this band does is just pure gold and maple syrup mm. um but you know there are definitely fans out there as well and certainly you know uh critics who think that anything post whatever post twice removed post navy blues post this and that is just complete bollocks <laughs> so you know i think that th- there might be some reflections on that sentiment in this track touching on the musical qualities of this i like how tightly the the lead vocals are double tracked um, and you can tell that it's not an adt but it's really just jay singing the track twice i love mm-hmm. how intense the yeah nows are in the chorus so even you get a little bit of distortion on on the mic it's just a little bit yeah now and you know it just adds to that kind of driving feel of the song and again we're getting piano as the main rhythmic um the main rhythmic component here and it does the solo too
0: and I feel like Jay's the one, especially live, he's the guy who will plug into songs, you know, he'll make sure that in his song it's he's, it's got him going, yeah, you know, like he hits you with a yeah, you know, and in this case, yeah, now. Um, yeah. And I guess as I look over the lyrics, I mean, it is kind of both. It's about the band and because he says here, uh, this one's for the girls. There's no particular one in the world. You know, like perhaps he's singing about the relationship of the band and their female fans, perhaps. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he's about to, in the ensuing years, get very specific about one specific girl. And he's kind of kind of hone in on a, on a relationship. Uh, but here he's, he's being a little more general. Um, he's talking I mean you know you're breaking our hearts again wonder what you're waiting for perhaps that's you know, the give and take of the relationship with the fans. But I love the lyrics here too. Uh, what was the one line that I was just, yeah. When he says mysterious missives, not unlike a dream, he's definitely yeah. weaving some incredible lyrics here, which I think are really going to pay off on Commonwealth is, is a great example. Neither here yeah. nor there. Um, God, lyrically that song, again, like I was saying earlier, I've been listening to that album a lot lately <clears throat> and, you know, a line like in a case of hypochondria of the heart, you yeah. know, yeah, uh, he's just really. Oh my God. Poetic. Yeah. I mean, when I heard that lyric uh, the first time, um, because I know Jay's sort of like a Big Smiths guy. And obviously he loves Johnny Marr, but how can you deny the the wonderful lyricism of like Morrissey and stuff? And sure. I, I just imagine you know if Morrissey were to ever hear that song, that line would make him you know like jizz in his pants and cry his eyes out at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be so excited to hear that sort of lyricism. Which
1: is that's like that's that's the perfect Morrissey emotion right there, isn't it? <laughs> you I'm sure do both.
0: I got to put I got to get that on a shirt. Um, but it's him also just like crying his eyes out that he didn't think of it first, you know. And yeah. so, like I said, Jay's in search of the perfect pop song. He's nailing it. And not only are these songs just like a great education in, in how, in pop music structure, chording, yeah. you know, like the, 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 the musical decisions that are made, the instrumentation, and then the lyrics on top of that. Like at this point going forward, like not, I'm not saying that Jay's had any clunkers here, but Jay's like a pop song machine from here on out, you know, like you got a song like right to Rome. I mean, like God, yeah. Yeah. He's like just perfecting it and just, you know, carving it down and and making it perfect.
1: So we go from right or wrong to something's wrong. (laughs) And I, um, have it on good authority that this was just a happy accident as Bob Ross would say. Mm. Um, but again, another, another track that is probably made up on the floor, that is a reflection of how andrew's feeling at that point in time or maybe on that day and is a nice reflection of what i what i've been touching on earlier this is like andrew's show. if i was you i'd want that feeling back for good you people hmm. right so it's badass andrew i love the bass intro it could have been, again this is something it could have been a three minute song listen to the guitar work he could have just made that guitar solo last a minute and then add another easy verse and a second chorus Mm. and then you have a wonderful andrew track um but the way the way that it was conceived didn't really uh allow for that and it it works out well at this at this point in the album and they they still i they i recall that they played it live on that tour and i think they still played it live on the ensuing tours because it was a nice kind of binding element between songs in his in his set
0: yeah a nice little piece to kind of fit in there so that he's not just doing like two in a row. He's doing three in a row technically or something. Yeah. Yeah. I I do. like. I do. I did notice. And I do like the, the double use of the word wrong in the previous song and here. Like I like to think that it's more than just an accident and that these songs were paired together for that reason, actually. Um, but perhaps I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, we've got a bit of a swing beat going on here, which, which kind of pops in later in the record, you know, uh, similar, not, not totally similar to, but we've heard it cer- certainly in the past with like Iggy and Angus and everything you've done wrong. And even though those songs don't sound anything like this, it's nice to hear this sort of um, uh, feel, you know, it's not like, not every day that we get a swing feel from these guys. Um, and and again, another song where I, I'm fairly certain this is Chris on drums as, as yeah, might be the it, case. it's going to
1: be, it's going to be Chris. And I'm going to think, yeah. that,
0: and I think it's maybe fair to suggest, and maybe you said this earlier, but the Andrew songs that are like a minute long, perhaps coming from a jamming, the birth canal would be the jamming like in their space. I feel like yeah. that's Chris on drums anyway. So, um, yeah. and perhaps that's just, you know, they're recording them jamming and then they're the, they're that drum track is on the record.
1: But where'd they get this giant bass intro from? It's amazing. It's so good. It's just so good. You can sink your teeth into it, right? And the way that the bass complements the drums on this intro is just so good. Like this is this is this is a unique thing in their catalog. I don't I don't think that there's any other intro like something's wrong. And it's really that's a as you said, it's a jamming intro. It's like okay, well Chris is gonna play a drum riff, and oh, but well, Jay's coming in on bass, or might have been Patrick. Who knows? Somebody's coming in on bass. But I love, I love the way it's done and executed. There isn't much more to say. I mean, it, it's, I think a lot of these tracks, you can't interpret too much into them. They're yeah. probably created and conceived in about the same amount of time that we use to talk about them on this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're hearing this song kind of come into fruition while you're listening to it. Yeah, the words that I would use for Andrew's sort of like little one-minute songs on this album would be like rough and tumble. And and yeah. that and, and those would be the words that I'd use to describe this song. It's got a roughness to it, it's got a, a muscularity to it, you know. It's just it's got a strength to it, it's sort of snarling maybe a little bit, especially with the intro. Yeah.
1: All right, so, segue song. So yep. we segue from something wrong to a throwback for from pretty together, where all of a sudden we're in the outro from never seeing the ground for this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. all of a sudden which i love it when sloan reference themselves in mm-hmm. their music we have this again in 48 portraits as you mentioned and they have an expansive enough catalog that it makes it easy to reference themselves mm-hmm. but this riff I, I i you know i'm a big pretty together fan i'm a big andrew fan mm-hmm. and the riff at the end of never seeing the ground for the sky was one of my favorite parts of that album is being picked up again by chris Mm. to which is again a lovely it's a caricature you know a, a caricature song about another relationship in the band about chris's relationship to their manager mike nelson and his daughter right right so um for those of you who haven't looked through the lyrics already and i know it's it's hard not to um it's about a baby right it's right. not about chris trying to pick up right some chick um it's about chris's uh encounters with mike nelson's daughter and it's it's a musical idea that's been pulled across a simple musical idea that's been pulled across a couple of minutes but i like how they do silly stuff like he mentions because of her name and the resemblance to the to to the state of Andalusia, like he mentions that oh I've been to the south of Spain and then they do this little flamenco solo.
0: <laughs> it's funny. I I for me I never got that reference. I always just assumed that the name was as like a Pixies debaser reference. Okay. Um, but, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I know that again, I don't want to get too personal here. Um, but I think Mike's son's name is like Theodore Rex or something like that. So the kid's name is literally like T-Rex. Okay. Um, so some awesome naming going on in the kid department here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't sure how, how inside we should get with the song, but it is helpful to know, Not necessarily whose kid it is, but this song is about a baby. And I feel kind of bad for anybody who doesn't know that and just kind of takes the lyrics at their face. I would hope that anybody reading, even if they don't know that, you know, that Chris knows this kid or whatever, um, that he's singing about a baby. And that kind of just adds a level of kind of humor to the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and and I love the line as well. I would think that you would recognize you should pick on someone your own size.
0: Yeah, every line is is hilarious when you understand the full context
1: exactly and the outro to this song when they start just barking i always thought that it was you know they're, they're saying uh-oh hanging out but mm-hmm. it sounds like they're just barking like a dog which <laughs> you know arf <laughs> uh, arf hang, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah arf arf hanging out um i know that that was an inside joke on the sloan message board for a couple of years i'll take full credit for that one guys that woof, was my woof, idea
0: woof, 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 I'm a yeah woo,
1: woo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's early in the morning here for those of you who are listening. So we're getting some, we're getting some grand late at night for, for Rob, but, (laughs) um, you know, the the song again, charming, fun, little wink of the eye to people who are in the know about the band.
0: Yeah. And just a, and just fun wordplay, you know, again, it's 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 revisiting perhaps that sort of instrumentation from Pretty Together, um, and I think in the back of my mind I always kind of felt like those two songs sounded the same ish, or they at least they had the yeah. same feel. Um, but again, like the music is is actually is actually a little on the technical side. I don't think that you could just pick up your like instruments and just play this or whatever in the way that. Um, yeah like in chris's previous song um uh, somebody i can be true with but um someone i can be true with rather but in in this case the music is in is just sort of laying the groundwork for the lyrics which are sort of the showcase
1: yeah and just as a closing thought i don't think i've ever seen this be being played live i don't think they played it Hmm. frequently if at all on the never hear the end of it tour um you know, I would have definitely taken notice because it was, I love that riff.
0: Yeah. And oh, so sure.
1: if anybody, if anybody's listening, if, if they can prove to us that they've played it live, I'd love to, I'd love to know that.
0: Yeah. I, again, I, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I don't really know that I have a recollection of seeing it live either, either, actually
1: <laughs> something for the anniversary tour in 2026.
0: Oh, I can't wait, man. Let's, yeah. let's get right to, uh, before the end of the race, man.
1: So the transition between these two tracks is just fantastic. It's a frenetic kind of backwards escalation into this amazing introductory guitar solo. Um, And whenever I hear a reverse guitar solo on a Sloan album, it catches my attention. You know, we've had this before on a couple of Andrew tracks, listen to 400 meters, Mm. but now Jay is delivering the goods for before the end of the race. Um, And, if you listen to the other J tracks on the album, this is a certain certainly a change of pace, right? He's really getting into this song in a very kind of hasty way. The song is again a means of highlighting the piano as a as a rhythm instrument, but he also uses the piano in uh, in, in in a more prominent way. There's a piano solo in this song so again reflecting some of the decisions that the band has been making in terms of instrumentation on this album overall but also you know reflecting re- reflecting the way that the uh the band has been able to have creative control over the instrumentation on the album this is something that wouldn't have flied for action packed i can imagine before the end of the race being on action packed with hand claps and percussion instruments and piano solo one thing that really stands out to me on before the end of the race, and this is something that keen listeners will have observed in the latter part of Jay's career, is the attack on the guitar, on the lead guitar. Like listen to the attack, and it might just be, you know, studio compression, but I feel as though Jay really does a great job on double tracking the lead guitar lines. So if you listen to that main riff, that. I'm almost certain that that's a double-tracked lead riff that gives the illusion of a much heavier attack on the guitar. So you have this super um, guitar tone. That's the one thing that stands out for me the most on on this track. Again, it's lyrically, I think there's a certain degree of yearning here about not wanting to miss out on a relationship, not wanting to miss out on someone before it's too late. There's this, there's this sense of urgency, right? There's this sense of let's get this thing going before it's too late, which is reflected quite well as in 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 the composition of the song. Uh, the the one thing vocally that stands out to me in in this song. Uh, is the sort of that outro with that ooh before the end of the race, yeah, before the end of the race canon uh, mm. which uh, yeah. which which worked out I, I, I recall having seen this live a couple of times on the on the tour, um, which was really fun to see live and anytime you can see the band doing the really complex. Uh, backing vocal work on this album live and pulling it off it was a real treat
0: and it reminds me too of all by ourselves between the bridges i love then they have a few moments like this it would maybe take me a few minutes to kind of produce the other songs where this happens but where they have lyrics that kind of flip back and forth like at the end of all by ourselves are doing turning and tearing tearing and turning yeah turning and ta- like and, and like uh, each line kind of flips um so that's yeah. happening here as well um, just some fun wordplay. And I think to live, I kind of get the impression that I see Chris and Patrick, some uh, at least in all by ourselves. And we kind of look I, in my mind, I see them looking at each other. Like, is this the end? You know, like uh, I remember, I remember the first time uh, I saw them do rest of my life. And towards the end of the song, they had, uh, included that yeah you know and now i can't hear that yeah, song yeah, yeah. Without hearing that live part of it you know yeah, yeah um yeah and i think that that's in there when i saw it more recently i was watching a thing of them doing it live and i was like i bet that's in there because they've got the chorus repeating at the end of the song and the exactly, yeah is yeah. the cue to the rest of the band that the song's almost over we're not going to do the chorus one more time so I, i'm always kind of fascinated by those little inside cues yeah. that bands include in songs but uh, anyway so this song would definitely need some you know inside cues for sure to know where the end is because they're kind of just repeating the same lyric over and over again. Um, yeah. But yeah, lyrically, I mean, he's ta- he's using sort of the metaphor of a race and, you know, a relationship ending and kind of looking back on it and, you know, dividing your friends and, uh, you know, he mentions it being like a pageant. And um, hmm. so, it, so the picture here for me isn't, isn't as directly painted as in some of his other songs, especially, you know, the songs that are coming over the next, you know, 10 years. And, um, for me, this song is sort of, it, it it's a of, Like I've used the word triptych previously uh, in t- talking about Kevin Hilliard in the preamble episode, but here Jay's got the three songs, uh, kind of mashed in the middle of the album, um, before the end of the race, right or wrong. And can't you figure it out, which I didn't check, but are probably all very close to the same BPM and could have on a, you know, like if they had divvied this album up in the way that Commonwealth has divvied up could be like this massive singular J track in a way, you know? Um, and, And once again, I think they're all really good examples in this song, especially are great examples of Jay Ferguson becoming this, like, he's just, I don't know if he's actively searching for the perfect pop recipe, but he's getting, if he's not, there he's really close and i would say that you know in later albums um like we talked about a song like right to Rome" on 12 in the in the preamble episode um he's honing in on his style and i think he's more than ever really coming into his voice and he has now like a jay ferguson style you know whereas on previous albums um you know he would have like maybe a softer song with a rocker like in between the bridges or um and in this case Um, but in this case, I I would say he has this formula and I think all three songs kind of share a a formula in a way. And he's just really refining that pop sensibility that he has. And that I mean, he's a huge fan of, you know, who who doesn't love pop music and he's just really honing in on just very traditional, honest pop songs. Um, he's not trying to be overly silly with his lyrics and stuff. And so, yeah, I love, I love this song
1: he writes he writes very well for like single dudes doesn't he i feel as though i was listening to his music at this point in time and thinking to myself like, this is the emotion that i feel when i'm starting to date somebody new and you know i feel as though I, and you know by by that point in time i was the ripe old age of 22 but i'd barely had a solid girlfriend for more than like a couple of months right and i'm thinking to myself that you know the next one has to be the right one right and before the end of the race before before it's too late and i'm an old spinster um i need to meet the right one and this song kind of encapsulates that emotion quite well and it, I, I i just love the way that i love the way that the instrumentation and the composition really backs that as well so what i mentioned at, at the onset reverse guitar solos reverse guitar solos if they're used well can be 20 times more interesting than a forward played guitar solo if they're if they're done really shitty and if anybody's listening to this and has tried recording a reverse guitar solo uh and it doesn't work out properly then it just sounds piss poor Uh, so you know why doesn't it happen more
0: often they're so great
1: well it's because you need to have a guitar solo that lends itself to sounding good in reverse a lot of guitar solos or a lot of a lot of audio when you play in reverse just sounds completely abstract and unmelodic but this particular solo and the way he recorded it just fits in perfectly i love it and uh oh. it's something that i wish the band would do more often to be to be completely Me too. Frank, i was gonna because- say,
0: i was just gonna say that i'm a huge fan of the backward sound i think it just gives you sort of an un- otherworldly you know feel and like you're just in this other place it kind of just takes you out of the song a little in a good way and my, yeah. my reference point for backwards guitar solos, the one that I can think of from like my teen years kind of getting into music and stuff would be like uh, What's the Frequency, Kenneth by R.E.M. is a great one.
1: Good point. And Good they've point. got
0: the backwards guitar here. It sounds so awesome. And I love also, just while we're talking about the instrumentation, before the last verse going into the outro, that drum fill, oh my god. It's just like the song stops for a second. It's just like eight bars at least of just what I perceive to be Andrew just going fucking ape shit. And it had occurred to me for a second that it could have been Chris. Maybe, I mean, and I'm, maybe we'll get corrected on that, but, um, it I, sounds I'm fairly like Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. It sounds like him. And, um, yeah, I love that little, little drum fill before the end. Oh, such a treat, it, little treat in there.
1: And one thing to note before we do move on to the next track, which is incidentally an Andrew track, I love the way that this album highlights different miking techniques for drums, and I'm definitely not a an engineer or a producer, but you can hear the different tonal qualities in the in the way that the drums are highlighted across the album, and we'll get to that a bit later on. Um, but as you mentioned here, with that little drum fill, you know that's a very in your face kind of dry uh drum sound, sort of the drum sound that we traditionally hear across previous periods of, of Sloan's catalog. But moving forward, you'll hear some other sounds. And maybe this is a good point to transition to the next track, speaking of speaking of drummers. And we're talking about Blackout, which is a rollicking rocker. It the first time I heard this track, I thought immediately about the northeastern US uh ontario quebec power outage of 2003 if you remember that i think it was august of 2003 it was a of super course, hot summer yeah, right i think it was probably like 40 degrees in southern ontario and we had the power out for i don't know five days or something and i remember just hmm. I, I think i was i think it was actually in welland ontario at that point in time where it's even warmer than in ottawa and i remember just looking around and seeing people look completely disheveled and completely lost in this heat and no way to cool down. And if you listen to the lyrics of the song, people walk around in a daze that's unsettled and they're thinking of drinking until the morning, talking about, you know, what do we do if the power goes out? (laughs) And it might just be a figurative thing. But blackout for me in many ways encapsulates that kind of feel. And again, we're getting Andrew's, I don't want to say high-nosed attitude here in this song but if you listen to the lyrical content of this and other andrew tracks it's again it's this idea of like you people right you people walk around you don't know what to do uh it's <laughs> it's kind of it's, it's old man braggadocio yeah and it's really cool so that's lyrically what's happening for me in this track musically the first time i listen to it i'm like well someone's been listening to queen because if you listen to headlong which is i think on. I think it's on the miracle by Queen. I, I grew up a big Queen fan, by the way.
0: Yeah, I it's, love that song.
1: Yeah, it, the content is so similar. Just the way that headlong and blackout are kind of shouted, uh, but also they Freddie Mercury sings about when a red hot man meets a white hot lady, <laughs> and so whenever mm. whenever whenever Andrew talks about there's a white heat um i just immediately think about freddie mercury singing about a white hot lady so i'm you know stretching the loop between queen and andrew scott would be a wonderful piece of musical irony if, if that is the case um but you know apart apart from that kind of classic rock feel just that lead guitar that tube screaming lead guitar which is a sound that we don't hear very often uh, in the library of Sloan guitar tones it's just so good. And if you listen at the at the beginning, like that 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 introductory riff, if you listen to how that also just escalates how the intensity of the playing, and you've got a lead guitar happening, I think in the right channel throughout the entire song. And towards the end, when there's that outro riff, it just sounds like you can hardly differentiate the notes from one another because the, the tube screamer is just taking over, distortion is just taking over, it just sounds so good. And a little bit of reverb dose in there. It's just a new guitar sound, right? So love what's happening here. Um, musically, uh, like the lyrical content. Again, it's one of Andrew's observations of how people behave in certain situations. And it's very much from a from a from a from a higher ground looking down
0: yeah when i when i hear the white heat line i just imagine andrew in his place like staring at like a velvet underground album or something um similarly to in 48 portraits when he says at the end wwlrd which is what would Lou Reed do um obviously a, a fan of lou reed and who you know yeah. everybody should be obviously but um and he allegedly wrote that line like the moment Lou Reed passed away, like he was working on that song. Right. just kind of fit it in there, which is kind of touching. Um, but yeah. anyway, so I always, when I hear white heat, I think that he's talking about Velvet underground, but, um, but yeah, I, I it probably to kind of <laughs> who knows, who knows I'm speculating, but to kind of touch on the parts of the song, um, it, it, to me on the album, it's a bit of a twin song to I've got to try, like it's a more fully fleshed out, you know, it's another great, uh, it's, it's maybe not as poppy as I've got to try. Like it's maybe not something that would, um, be like a radio single or something. Uh, it's got like a snarl to it. Um, But uh, yeah, and also the shuffle beat that is being played by who I assume is Chris on drums, obviously, um, where instead of the right hand playing on the hi-hat, he's kind of playing the right hand on the snare. Right. And it kind of gives it a bit of a unique sort of shuffle feel, and it's not not totally disjointed, but it's not just a sort of just regular straight-ahead drum beat. It's similar. Uh, This is also played on Where Are You Now, which is on the Hit and Run EP from a couple years later. Um, Right. Similar beat. Um, Yeah, good point. But yeah, love the song.
1: It's, uh, you know, the, uh, again, looking at different percussive elements here, listen to the hand claps in the verse. There's that, uh, the, 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 the instrumental wall caves in a little bit during the verse, so you just have... Pretty, I think it's the bass and the hand claps. It just sounds really good, um, really subtle. So again, things that weren't happening on the previous records coming to the forefront here and never hear the end of it. And speaking of things that weren't happening on previous records, if we move forward to the next track, and you know, Patrick's motto in this album is quality before quantity, we get to a track... <sighs> monumental in proportions in comparison to a lot of the tracks that we're hearing on this album, I understand where, for me, the musical structure and instrumentation trumps the lyrical content of the song, right? I mean, I think this is something that we've observed over the course of Patrick's career. He has a higher affinity for Composing tracks where the actual structure of the of the song, chord progression and instrumentation stands at the fore, and the lyrical content gets stripped down and plays a backseat. Right. So I, you know, I've heard over points of my life as a Sloan fan. People complain about Patrick's lyrics kind of going downhill, and I think it's the complete opposite. I feel as though I feel as though Patrick has found a way to make less existentially angsty songs, which was, you know, I think I think again a phase of their early career. Looking, looking back towards Smeared and Twice Removed, and really pack poignant lyrical content in a minimalistic way um, in, into into songs that just musically makes sense right so this is for me a good example wonderful build-up amazing climax at the end that just carries on and on and on and you know patrick again using his vocals as an instrument right so patrick layering backing vocals upon backing vocals and we've talked about this before like his uh, his amazing vocal tone his ability to do his own background vocals which not many people can do and pull off because you know you know this very well as as somebody who's who's recorded stuff if you record your own voice and do your own backing vocals it's going to sound very one-dimensional and patrick does it he can achieve different um he can achieve different textures with his voice his timbre when he does a mid-range vocal sounds completely different to his timbre when he does a super high range backing vocal and you can hear this here as well so musically one of my favorite patrick tracks out there i think probably mm. i love the way that you have and this is something that this obviously you know it's not super innovative or anything but i love at the beginning where you have syncopated acoustic rhythm guitars in each audio channel so you can hear the strumming pattern syncopating in both ears and just adds this like beautiful warm texture to the song there it's you know it's a really simple chord progression the line is really simple it's just pumping out quarter notes the entire time but the one thing that stands out for me here and uh, you know refer to this earlier After that little short electric keyboard breakdown, the re-entry of the song it just punches you in the face, and that just builds up to this giant conclusion with this rising, you know, these rising attenuating guitar feedback solos, which just sounds so good. It's just screaming at the end, right? And it disintegrates then, like it it screams to this big climax and then disintegrates into fucking church bells. You know, which just sounds like the first time you hear this, you're just blown out of the water, right? So I think a lot of people overlook these Patrick songs because they think, well, you know what's happening with the lyrics, but don't listen to the lyrics, listen to the composition altogether. And it's just amazing, right? So again, this is a fun one because not only is it experimenting with a lot of different new sounds, live it was fantastic, you know they haven't played it live in a long time but i remember this being especially that 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 outro climax that 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 crescendo and build up to the the church bells which i think they even reproduced digitally on stage yeah at this point in in
0: the live show greg is um you know hitting you know like little cues and stuff pre-recorded things like for example on um on parallel, play the next album, the little the little backwards thing. Hey, we're talking about backwards again. Uh, at the beginning of "Believe in Me," is produced by Greg as well.
1: Right. So that that portion of the of of this song was a great opportunity to for for Patrick to just sort of show off his skills on his pedal board, right? And he would take a you know a one note solo through different effects and really just show off his wah wah skills and whatever. So that that was fun. Um, I always love watching Patrick like focus on his pedal board and crank out a solo while the rest of the band is just churning forward with with a song. Like Patrick's in his own little wizard world. Um and that, that that was a fun part. So I understand really I mean, for me, one of the highlights of the album, one of my favorite Patrick tracks, I think, since probably two thousand.
0: This is a this is such a highlight for him. and I, I can't imagine anybody sleeping on this song. like so much to say about it. This song is beautiful. It is gorgeous. The lyrics are poetic. Um, and Patrick's the one out of everybody, I think who really kind of just relates to the listener in a very uh, kind of very relatable way. He's talking about big ideas. It, you know, yeah. he doesn't overcomplicate what he's talking about. He's not being super specific. And if you were to read the lyrics, you're not, you know, you're not like looking in his front window or something. He isn't opening up his personal life to the listener, but he's using words in a way, very poetic sounding, you know, things like talking about opening up your heart and, um, and even just the phrase I understand. I mean, like, sometimes we just need to hear that in relationships, you know, we need to communicate with each other and to and to get the impression that the other person hears us. And I mean, this album, which is filled with songs about relationships and being relational and whatnot. uh, He's doing that in a, in a very sort of poetic way where he's talking about something very universal, which is, you know, kind of Patrick's middle name, you know, other than hitmaker, is, you know, the good in (laughs) everyone, you know, everything you've done wrong, these sort of kind of, you know, statements that everybody can kind of relate to. And, um, I understand is, is totally with, without question in that, um, you know, camp. And I remember watching the making of videos, a couple of things kind of come to mind is on the little leaderboard that they had where they were kind of matching up everybody's songs. Um, this is listed as I understand with a line and then it says stand I, (laughs) which, which was, or at least that's what I think it says. And so that always gave me the impression that he had these, that basically there is I understand part one and I understand part two. And we That's hear the break. There's that little drum <laughs> there's that little drum fill in the middle. And for me, these two things were recorded at completely different times and under completely different circumstances. I don't mm. know if the if, if somebody just... I, I don't know what the plan was from the beginning. If he had this idea for this just really long song that kind of had a traditional song structure, structure and then would break down, kind of come back down to the acoustic and then kind of go like off into outer space again. I don't know if that was the original plan. Or if he got the, to the end of the original I Understand part... And there was just the thinking, like, you know, this jam, these chords just feel so good. We have an opportunity to just do something really interesting musically. So I feel like the the first part of I Understand before the, the, the frantic drum break is the original song. And in the spirit of the other guys in the band jamming and kind of putting little songs like Golden Eyes together and stuff... Um, someone i can be true with in the case of chris you know patrick's little kind of mini song is the sequel to i understand and it just happens to come right at the end of i understand and they just call it i understand you know so that from my perspective that's what i'm hearing because the drums are totally different it's like a completely different recording setup for that second half of the song and it sounds great it's not like it takes you out of the song or is is overly jarring Uh, and i love that end of the song good god it's so great you know like um, like I was saying, especially at the end, Oh,
1: <laughs> just that really that, And how the trumpets come in and
0: mirror that. Oh, I was going to talk about the trumpets too. Yeah. Like this, he's kind of, I mean, I'm trying to think of anybody else in the band who has a, not a tradition, but has the reoccurring trumpet thing. Obviously, it's in everything you've done wrong. And then my sort of sleeper fave of Pretty Together is Your Dreams Have Come True, which has right. trumpets at the end. Um, right. which, and that song yeah. for me just feels like Patrick on his computer at home by himself. Um but the which trumpets make was. a return here. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. Um and then there's a great video as well. Um I, I was just gonna talk about the vocals for a second. You were, you mentioned it previously. The bridge is so fantastic. You know, he, he's using sort of very basic words here that just sound really well when sung, like the vowels, the bridge of just the I understand, you know, it's, it's just these big, long notes and the harmonies, you know, therein just sound so great when sung. Um, there's yeah. a great video in the making of where Patrick's kind of just telling, kind of showing the guys the end of part one, uh, which I I guess is also the end of part two, where he's just going, I understand. And they're all kind of singing it together. Uh, I really love that video. (laughs) I don't know who's doing the drum fill to, yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) I don't know who's doing the drum fill that connects the two pieces of the song. It's so crazy that I think it's Chris and um, (laughs) that would be my bet if I had to wager. Um, and then, and then, it, then the song kind of just resets, and kind of when it, yeah. then the second part comes in, and it's just sort of like the, the the beat comes down, the acoustic guitar comes back out, and then from there the song just goes into outer space, and at some point, almost. Kind of, it doesn't totally lose the beat, but you kind of forget the beat's even there. It's just swirling and yeah. it's firing through outer space into the cosmos. It's so beautiful. And then the bells at the end, which don't sound out of place at all, they just sound—they're a perfect little cherry on top. They sound to me at the time, or at least they always reminded me, because uh, the album came out in the fall. It you know, kind of going into winter time and Christmas time. It always reminded me of like an Eaton's commercial, like it's Christmas time <laughs> and you know we've got all the gifts you need, and they've got the big bells in the in the uh, commercial so it kind of takes me to that place but yeah i mean for me top five patrick song for me there's another Amazing. one on this album that's coming up too and oh god, uh, god yeah he was just so on fire here yeah we'll have a, episode five we just talk about the <laughs> customers, but um yeah anyway i'm i'm going on and on and on and listener i appreciate you just taking all this in but yeah i can't speak highly enough of i understand and if you haven't heard this song in a while you know pull it out download it go online and find it and play it immediately because there's so much going on here it's it's basic and complex at the same time the lyrics are sort of very universal the chords are very basic but you know what's going on and where the song goes is is quite complex and i love the sort of breakdown in the middle like i said and it's just it's a work of art it's beautiful perfect perfect song
1: i think this is this is a good point then to to introduce the song to the album like you know what it's about it's that that counterpoint to i understand you have this explosion in church bells and then this really low-key chris song with this melotron flute backing uh you know, super short there isn't much to say about this song again. It might have been made up uh it, it, during the recording process I f- I, you know it, it's easy to speculate on whether this was another reference to chris's relationship with Leslie Feist. It might be i don't you know nobody will tell us for certain um except for the man himself, but one of my favorite things about this song was actually seeing chris when they did perform this live and i think they even performed that into the next couple of tours as a transition between between other songs was seeing him <laughs> at the end of the song do both the lead vocals and his own backing vocals in falsetto right like when he says um was not designed with us in mind <laughs> where he would actually do his own falsetto backing <laughs> vocals and it just looked and sounded so cool but kind of funny at the same time um but like the the guitar tone here again andrew's guitar playing and his tone holy shit um he's playing on the on the neck pickup the whole time here and just playing sliding riffs up and down up and down the neck and just sounds so ethereal and simple but complex at the same time like this man is a fucking genius
0: and the Mellotron that you mentioned earlier is definitely digital, but who cares? It sounds amazing. And we're getting another tone here. Like I love, and we've got another little short song coming up next, too, which is kind of funny. Two little short pieces right in a row. Um, and we're just getting different flavors. You know, the palette is being cleansed before we move from the grandiosity, I should say, of I understand. We're gonna jump into another perfect pop song with Jay with Can't You Figure It Out. And we get these two little nuggets from Chris and Andrew in there. And and I don't I don't know if these are buffers to kind of keep the different singers songs apart you know because i think there's only the one time on the record where we have somebody with two songs in a row uh, towards the end with chris but um yeah maybe just a little buffer but again these two little pieces you know what it's about in golden eyes are just so different sounding to everything on the album and they're just it's it's the it's this band flexing its muscle just going like you know what else we can do we can do this and you know what else we're gonna do after that this you know like it's unbelievable the perfection of yeah. I understand into this sort of earnest, you know, guttural, heartfelt vocal of Chris on you know what it's about. Very Leniny sounding, you know, as Aaron Pinto mm. might, would maybe agree. Just sure. fantastic vocal,
1: you know. Just and you incredible have Paul's vocal. you have Paul's flute Mellotron in there as well. So it's mm. it's there. You go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> very pretty and then it's going to go totally psychedelic in a second here and then we're going to bring it all back home and get mega poppy with our man jay fergalicious all right maybe that's a good place to wrap up uh, episode two on never hear the end of it we'll get to the rest of the album uh, next time uh ken thank you for continuing on this journey with me sir and thank you listener uh, we will see you in part three of never hear the end of it as we continue through the tracks we'll talk to you next time Bye. Stay Bye.